I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here. Great to have you. We're going to get right into it today because I'm excited about this program. My guest is the lead pastor of the Grace Church, which is here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Las Colinas, for those of you that know the area. His name is Andrew Farley, and some of you might have heard him on his radio program uh, called The Grace Message. Uh, and he has a book out right now that just dropped. It's called 101 Bible Questions and the Surprising Answers You May Not Hear in Church. Well, what does that mean? We're going to find out as Andrew answers all 101 questions today in about 25 minutes. <laughs> uh, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Andrew, great to have you on Life Today Live. I appreciate you being hey, here. Hey, <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, a couple of questions, and I, you know, I think a foundational place to even start as we have this discussion, yeah, is can we ask, can we question God? Yeah, I mean, I think um, God obviously has all the answers, and He's solid, and we don't have to worry about God. But uh, can we question our faith? Can we question what we're believing in? Uh, can we question what we were brought up in? I think that's pretty healthy. Otherwise, you're checking your brain at the door. And honestly, I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of with God. Uh, some people are scared of asking questions about science because somehow they're going to contradict God. Not the case. God God invented science. God created the universe. So in the same way, when it comes to poking and prodding at the gospel, the finished work of Christ, uh, what did Jesus do on that cross? What did he do through the resurrection? I mean, it's healthy for us to ask. How big is this grace? How good is our God? How giant is his love for us? Uh, you know, can we mess this up? Can we go too far? Are we ever too far gone? That that kind of thing. These are healthy questions for any thinking Christian to ask. Well, that's good news because I was raised, uh, you know, in the church, um, heard more sermons than the average kid with my dad being an evangelist. Uh, and I, I did, I hit that point where I started questioning everything in it. Is there a, I'm just curious your thoughts because yeah, I, I've seen other people do this and it's gone really bad, <laughs> you know, is there a, a healthy way to ask these questions versus an unhealthy way to ask the questions? Well, I, I think it's all about who you ask. I mean, if you start with the premise that Jesus is not the son of God, if you start with the premise that there is no God if you start with the premise that we accidentally got here somehow through some fluke, then you're going to end up with some crazy answers. So I, I think we have to start uh, with applying godly common sense. I mean, we're not an accident. Uh, there's an intelligent design to this universe. We're not here by chance. And then if God really did create us, then what's the way forward? Well, 90% of world religions are going to tell you it's self-improvement, uh, do your best, God will grade on a curve, don't worry about it, 80% is good. If you have a ledger, you know, a little line down the middle, the good side and the bad side, as long as your good side fills up quicker than your bad side, you'll be all right. Uh, that's what world religions basically tell us, keep the rules and you'll be fine. Uh, so what's radical about Jesus, obviously, is he's saying, no, the gate's really narrow, there's very few that find it. It's a gate of grace. Uh, it is a gate where 
you can't earn it, achieve it, sustain it, or maintain it. Uh, so this whole gospel thing is upside down. And as long as you're starting with the premise that Jesus Christ is offering something unique that is different from uh, world religions, and I'm going to find out what that is. I mean, he tells us, seek and you'll find, and then you won't be disappointed. All right. I'm going to ask you a question that I, I, I know you like to explore because I follow you on, on Twitter, not X, right? Okay. Um, you describe other world religions as being basically works-based. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of churches that basically preach that in the Christian church, are there not? Yeah, I mean, here we are, you and me, we're right here in the buckle of the Bible Belt in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Let's not be surprised that uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible Belt that's not in the Bible. And that doesn't surprise me. I'm sure it doesn't you either. I mean, you know, you look at uh, man-made religion for 2,000 years. You look at Galatianism uh, back in the days of Paul. Uh, You look at people who are into self-improvement, sin management, try harder, do more, try to impress God with your best efforts. I mean, that's only natural. I'm going to call it natural. I mean, the Bible calls it fleshly, but I'm going to call it natural. It is natural human tendency uh, to kind of create this system where, again, you know, God's grading on a curve, do your best, but, you know, ultimately uh, he'll put a little grace on top at the end but right now you better get busy. And, you know, I think we're rejecting Christians. I don't think we know it, but I think there's well-intended pastors, leaders, and teachers who are saying essentially that God is in love with a future version of you uh, that tries harder and does more and is in church more and has a better prayer life and volunteers more and goes on missions trips more and does more quiet times. God's in love with a future version of you and it's rejection. We're rejecting people in the here and now. So the old liar's proverb, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch, right? Obviously, you know, and, and we're, I still see, I get it through the social media on this all the time. The the Judaizers, you know, the legalists, the you, you got to be doing it this exact way because it's written over here in, in Exodus, you know, or something. And then on the other side, there is the uh, what I would call lawlessness in a sense, um, the ones that that don't quite get the scripture that says, "Does grace abound so that we can sin more?" May it never be, you know, because they're right. like, "Well, nothing's really sin, and God loves all you guys." And yeah. yes, He does, but it just how do we how do we ride that tension between works, which I mean, we right. were created for good works, you know, but in my mind, it's the works come as an outpouring of the, the spirit, not the spiritual as an outpouring of the works. Yeah. Uh, how do we ride that? That I think it's a pretty fine line between legalism and lawlessness. Yeah, I, I think ultimately the answer is to take our view of grace and like blow it up about 10 times bigger because grace is more than just, hey, you get to go to heaven for free. And grace is more than, hey, you're forgiven no matter what. Uh, if, if that's our view of grace, then we're going to be dancing around grace, worried about grace, dangerous grace, all that stuff. <laughs> right. But what if what if we take our view of grace and blow it up and say, by grace, you've been given a new heart and your new heart hates sin. Your new heart will never be happy with sin. By grace, you've been given a new nature, a new identity, a new heart. By grace, you've been put together with Jesus, united with him. 
uh, vine and branches, and he's never going to lead you to sin. You have no business sinning. Sinning is not part of who you are. You got a new direction, a new set of passions and desires. God has written his desires on your heart. Uh, so if we start teaching people their identity in Christ and their union with Jesus as part of God's grace, then we've multiplied, we've blown up our view of God's grace. Now, grace inspires righteousness. Grace inspires godliness. I mean, Titus 2 says this. It says literally, it says, the grace of God teaches us to say no to sin and to live upright lives. So we don't need to be scared of God's grace, but I think we need to blow up our view of God's grace and realize it involves a new heart. Okay, and here's what you get. I know you get this. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Yeah. So that's what that the Bible soul. says. That's what the Bible says, Pastor. It's right there in the Bible. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but that's Old Testament. And also, we want to say, all right, wait a minute. Jesus said, wait for power from on high. And then they waited. And then Pentecost happened. And there was something called the born again experience. And Nicodemus didn't know what that was. So clearly, there's something new and special that you and I experience when we're born of the Spirit. Uh, the whole new covenant message is, I'll give you a new heart, mm -hmm. and I'll give you a new spirit, mm -hmm. and I'll put my spirit within you. So something radically new happens to New Testament believers. We should not be running around saying, I've got a wicked heart. We should be running around quoting Romans 6, saying, I've become obedient from the heart. I've got a new heart. Uh, out with the old, in with the new. I'm a new creation. So, you know, it's just a mixed up message when we start mashing yeah. Old Testament oh, yeah. theology with new. Oh, and I think that confuses a lot of people. Uh, I mean, you, so what do you think about this phrase? And I don't know if yeah. you were raised Southern Baptist like I was, yeah. but all will ever be is a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. <laughs> that sounds so familiar. I heard it my whole life. But uh, yeah, it's it's basically selling the gospel short. Uh, you're not just a sinner saved by grace. When you get saved, you get turned into a saint. Yeah. You're a saint who sometimes sins, and that's not semantics. I mean, there is a difference here, a radical difference. Uh, you look at the Corinthians. Uh, Paul says to the saints at Corinth, to the saints at Rome, to the saints at Galatia and Ephesus. He's addressing them as holy ones, set apart ones. Uh, he's saying, look, you've had a radical surgery. You were crucified, buried, and raised to newness of life. I'm not going to call you a dirty, rotten sinner when you're a holy, righteous saint. And look, you're going to end up acting like whoever you think you are. So if you think you're a dirty, rotten sinner, guess what you're about to do? Dirty, rotten sins. Yeah. But But if you start believing that you're the righteousness of God, guess what you're going to start doing? You're going to start displaying righteousness. This, do you want to even speculate as to why we have gotten this so wrong in so much of the Western church in the last hundred years at least? I, I think it's always been wrong. We've always gotten it wrong. Again, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not any longer shocked by the stuff I hear. So if you want to draw 10 million people, if you want to draw 100 million people, you better preach a balanced message that sounds like it pleases everybody 
And there's nothing that pleases everybody more than the self-help section in a bookstore. There's nothing that pleases people more than self-actualization and self-improvement and performance-based whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we're getting out of religion today. Same in Galatia, same uh, during, you know, the Catholic Church era, uh, all those hundreds of years when they dominated. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you're just going to get that from the world always. It, it shouldn't surprise us. And there's always going to be this narrow gate of grace. And there's always going to be just as you received me, so walk in me. Uh, there's there's this idea that the gospel doesn't change after you get saved. It's grace to start with, and it's grace to finish. We're talking to uh, Dr. Andrew Farley, uh, and I haven't really gotten to the book very well, but this is 101 Bible Questions, and he addresses some of these issues in that book, obviously. But uh, I, I was curious because... Like I said, I've been I've been following him for a while on social media, and every once in a while he'll he'll post something that I go, wait, what? And then I think about it, and I check it in scripture. I go, oh wow, okay, yeah, I, I think he's right on that. And and it gets, he really gets into that area of uh, we we don't like the idea of grace sometimes. Um, yeah. And 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 I understand the license to sin is not what it is. Uh, and, and it feels that way, especially if you're raised the way I was raised. But uh, so I appreciate it. And let me ask you, uh, Dr. Yeah. Farley, about the, the questions in the book. What are some of the bigger ones that, that you address that people may not be hearing in church? Yeah. So this book, 101 Bible Questions, is basically all the stuff that you might be afraid to ask at the Thanksgiving dinner table, <laughs> all the stuff you might be afraid to run down the center aisle and ask the pastor after his sermon all the stuff that, I mean, I, I guess if you've ever wondered if there were some questions that are maybe too taboo for church, uh, that's what this book is all about. Uh, can you lose your salvation? Uh, can can the forgiveness of God run out? Uh, what about forking over 10% of your monthly income to the church? Is God demanding that? Is God requiring that? Is God upset with you if you don't do that? Uh, what about if you got married and then got a divorce? Are you allowed to be a leader in a church? Uh, what about getting remarried? Are you allowed to remarry? And so we've got questions about homosexuality and gender and marriage and women serving in church. Those sort of questions have split denominations mm -hmm. at times. So there's a lot of controversial questions in this book, uh, 101 Bible questions, and the answers you may not hear in church. Can I nail you down on a couple of those and ask you a few? Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. First, I think question, and this has been kicked around a, a lot, and I know it's nothing new, but it seems new to some people sometimes. Is everyone going to heaven and they just don't realize it yet? Yeah. I mean, that's a, a horrible doctrine. I think you'd have to tear out pages and pages of your Bible <laughs> to justify that. Uh, you know, I was just preaching on this on Sunday, actually. Uh, you've got these... Um, clear passages. I mean, let's just name a few. Matthew 25, uh, you got the judgment, the final judgment. There's sheep and there's goats. Uh, there's no shoats and there's no geep. <laughs> there's no hybrid. There's no hybrid animal. There's no middle ground. Uh, you're either sheep or goat. Then you go to Revelation 20 and 21. Well, in 20, it's pretty bad news. Uh, and in 21, the church is being ushered in to eternity with God. But in the previous chapter, chapter 20, you know, it's the lake of fire. It's uh, people not in the book of life. 
I mean, anybody that's going to wake up and say the whole world's going to heaven, uh, they're creating a Walt Disney, you know, all dogs go to heaven type theology of their own invention. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, you'd have to take out a Sharpie and just scratch out, uh, you know, numerous passages in the New Testament. Jesus clearly talks about those who don't believe are under wrath and they'll suffer punishment. Thessalonians says you'll be away from the presence of the Lord if you're not in Christ. So, uh, you know, that's just lunacy to me. I mean, you know, first of all, the whole reason we have uh, the doctrine of God's grace and God's love and all of this is because of the scriptures and because of the apostles who wrote them. So what are we going to do? Take half of what they say and then just uh, disregard the other half? Yeah. It's foolishness. Um, you know, everything that we have is in Christ and nothing is in Adam. All the spiritual riches, the forgiveness and the righteousness, all of that is in Jesus, not in Adam. So you mentioned the, this narrow gate, and you, I, I wouldn't be honest, I, I don't know that I ever heard a sermon where they said this, Yeah. but the way it felt was the narrow gate is... Um, yeah, what you talk about performance based it's how good can right. i be how much can i make myself you know right. align with scripture but what what is the actual narrow gate well it's the opposite of everything we've ever thought because look at the wide gate again look at the wide gate of of, of islam look at the wide gate of mormonism look at the wide gate of world religions again and again they're going to tell you do your best try your hardest that's the wide gate. And Jesus says it leads to destruction uh, because all of our attempts at that uh, self-improvement, all our attempts are like filthy rags. Mm -hmm. God's not impressed. Uh, yeah. So what is it that impresses God? Well, the scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way we please God is actually by pumping the brakes and saying, no, I can't do this. I can't fix myself, I can't save myself, I can't grow myself. I'm going to trust your work. I'm gonna trust the cross and the resurrection. I'm gonna trust what you did. And it's not about what I'm doing, it's about what you've already done. So that's the narrow gate, that's the seldom heard message, but that's the message that leads to life. Would it be fair to say it's, it's less about try harder and more about surrender? Yeah, it's not trying, it's trusting. And, you know, it's not achieving, it's receiving. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a radical difference in those two approaches. So if you're miserable in your Christian life, maybe you're saved and you know you're going to heaven, but you feel beat up and miserable and you're wondering what went wrong when Jesus said, is this supposed to be easy and light and that you would find rest for your soul? Well, you might want to, you know, hit the pause button and say, hey, maybe I changed methods here. I started with grace. Uh, I got saved by grace. But now it seems like this whole thing is about me and how I'm doing and <laughs> right. my track record and right. my performance. And what if I fixed my eyes back on Jesus? The whole gospel message is supposed to cause us to say, wow, and thank you. And there's no bad news in it. I mean, come on, what's not to like? You're totally, <laughs> totally forgiven of all your sins. Uh, he'll never leave you, never forsake you. You're totally righteous as a free gift. You got agape, unconditional love. It'll never be revoked. You're as close to God as possible. You're one spirit with him, vine and branches. What's not to like? The only reason that 
some of us don't like our flavor of Christianity is because we've been hearing about the wrong flavor, and we need to get back to the real thing. So one of your recent tweets, you, you mentioned that about uh, not just your past sins are forgiven, but even your future sins, right? Yeah, yeah. So here, here's the, the thing that popped up in my mind. Um, it, what's the role of confession in sin if it's already forgiven? Well, uh, why wouldn't I want to believe the truth? I mean, am I going to sit there and say sin is awesome? Am I going to say sin is what works for me? Am I going to sit there in delusion and act like sin is what I'm made for? Or am I going to confess the truth? So what if I have some great reasons to confess the truth? I mean, I'll confess God made the world. I'll confess that Jesus rose from the dead. And I'll confess that lying and cheating and stealing are sin. And I'm not made for those. I'm going to confess that I'm dead to sin, but I'm also going to confess that I'm a totally forgiven person. So uh, there's plenty of reasons to say no to sin and turn from sin, but getting more forgiveness is not one of those reasons. <laughs> let me say that. Let me say that again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like it's like, what do we think here? Think about what we've been teaching. What do we think here? Oh, I know. Here's a good idea. I'll scare Christians to death by telling them that they're not quite forgiven yet. And then that'll really change them. That'll really cause them to change. I'll just scare them to death with maybe you're forgiven, maybe you're not, but you better ask for forgiveness and confess. Look, that's scaring people into submission. Mm -hmm. The real gospel is, I remember your sins no more. I've removed them as far as the east is from the west. I keep no record of your wrongs. Hebrews 10, 14, by one sacrifice, I've made you perfect forever. By one sacrifice, you're totally forgiven forever. So now, what's my motivation? Why behave? Well, how about I look at the other half of the gospel, not just forgiveness, but look down here. I got a new heart, a new spirit, God's spirit living in me. Sin is never going to make me happy. So you don't have to manipulate me or guilt me or shame me into good behavior. You can show me my new heart, and I'm going to love it every time. <laughs> You know, you're just right. <laughs> and that, and that's, that's great. Makes the interview easier, too. Well, one last question for you, and pr probably I've been known to lie about that, which is not good. I confess that. You're forgiven. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How much? Oh, so you mentioned Mormons, right? Okay. I was in Utah last yeah. weekend. Um, and it, what's funny is, is, so one of the, someone that was up there with me as a Christian, he said, you know, the Mormons are great. I mean, they're just. They're, they're some of the best people. And it's true. I mean, they, as, as far as Behavior. clean living goes and yep. all that kind of stuff, you go, absolutely, 100%. And I looked at him and I said, well, yeah, I mean, when you got to earn your way into heaven, you're going to be pretty great. Uh -huh. And and he went, oh, wow. I never I never thought about it that way. And I love it when the Mormons come to my door here in Texas because I talk to them about grace, right? Yep. Um, yep. But, but bigger than just the, the Mormon church, because we do this in a lot of churches, we have we have bad doctrine. We have bad have bad ideas about God, bad, bad, even interpretations, but oftentimes really bad applications of scripture. And so we get into when I hate this, we, we need discernment, but the judgment, like who's going to heaven, who's going to hell kind of thing gets really old fast because people will say, well, I mean, you know, Mormons, Mormonism, that, that's a cult. They're not Christian. And I go, okay, well, I know. And they, they say that about Catholics. And I go, well, look, I know some Catholics that love Jesus more than you do. You know, yeah, they have some, they may think the Pope is great. And I think the Pope is this current one's 
way off base. And I mean, believe in a lot of the Catholic stuff. Yeah, so I can go down the yeah. doctrinal line, and we can we're going to check different boxes as to what we believe. And it, right. I wondered, and I know I'm wrong about something doctrinally. I just mm-hmm. don't know what you know. And right. I, but I think you right. are. I think everybody else is too. And you probably yeah. don't know what to. I think that's why iron should sharpen iron. But how much bad doctrine can you have and still be a Christian? Yeah, I, I think it really comes down to two things, the identity of Jesus and the finished work of Jesus. And if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe he died for your sins and rose from the dead uh, to give you a gift of new life, and if you've just said, I want this in some way, it doesn't have to be you know this prayer, that prayer, this expression, that expression, but if you've heard that and you've believed that and like opened the door of your heart to who he is and what he's done. You don't have to be a master theologian. You can have the understanding of a little child. So this thing crosses denominations. Nobody cares. God doesn't care what sign is on the church wall. Uh, It's about human hearts. And that's why Paul says, do not say, he literally says, do not say who will ascend Uh, Do not say who will descend, that's to bring Christ up from the dead. But instead, what should we say? He says, just tell people that it's right here, right up in your ear. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And and Abraham was told that he'll be shocked. He's going to be blown over by the number of people in heaven. It's going to be like the sand at the seashore, Hmm. the stars in the sky. You start running those calculations. That's a lot of people. And yes, it's an analogy, but that's a lot of people. Mm. And I think we are going to be blown over because we've all got our categories and boxes and all of that. And we want to categorize, label and dismiss people. But Jesus sees the heart and it's all about him and his finished work. And, see, and that, I think the trouble with that is you would talk about a narrow gate, but then you talk about all these people being in heaven. And are, are, we, are we applying the, the gate idea in the wrong way? Well, no, I mean, you got, what do you got, uh, 8 billion people on the planet? Mm. Uh, I'm not very good at fractions, but the the narrow gate would still include a lot of people there. So you've got 8 billion as the total sum, and then you multiply that by the centuries and millennia. I mean, fraction uh, a fraction of of the population of the earth will be there, but that's still going to be a heck of a a lot lot of people. people. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope we see each other. Uh, yeah <laughs> i'm confident we will we'll, we'll have coffee but back to my question how much bad doctrine can you have and still be saved i'm yeah. not even sure that that's a right question to ask because salvation is, not, is, is it it's not based on our doctrine is it right so i mean the word doctrine carries a lot of connotations so we got jesus and we got faith in him uh you can call that doctrine you can call it trust you can call it faith you can call it relationship mm. You can call it dependency. Uh, you can call it opening the door to him, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's for little kids, too. Little kids yeah. can can do this thing. So it's not about the terminology. It's basically, uh, it's like oxygen. It's like admitting, you know, admitting that you need oxygen. That, that's not cruel. It's not cruel of God that you need oxygen. It just so happens that oxygen is what fills your lungs and, and helps you stay alive. Well, it's not cruel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, Mm. that nobody comes to the Father by him. Mm. I mean, if Jesus is God, then Jesus is our spiritual oxygen. Uh, He's not hydrogen. He's not nitrogen. He's oxygen. He's the very substance of what we need to breathe spiritually. So there's nothing cruel about that. It's just reality. 
And uh, I think when we, we, when we realize he's our creator and our designer, it only makes sense that a trust in him is what's going to save. Get all your questions answered out there. If you haven't and you're watching and you're like, okay, this is interesting and you still have questions, I actually have a great resource for you. It is called BibleQuestions.com. The website looks just like this. And it's, kind of, it's kind of sparse out there because what's your Bible question? You, you type it in there. You'll yep. get an answer. It's a great resource. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Dr. Andrew Farley's book, 101 Bible Questions, and the surprising answers you may not hear in church. It's available wherever you get books. Just great. I, I like this. I, I view this in some ways as, as working out your salvation and, and fear and trembling with, with a sense of reverence, a sense of awe. But work through the questions. Don't be afraid of them. And, and do it with other people who have some spiritual maturity. Uh, don't do it in a, you know <laughs> on Twitter entirely unless you're following Dr. <laughs> Andrew Farley and you can do that uh, and, and Dr. Farley I, I really I love the conversation I love being challenged I love being pushed uh, and and I love the the, the grace the, the Jesus the love you know um, yeah. I, yeah I did I think a lot of us have grown up with a lot of condemnation. Uh, measuring and it's just a breath of fresh air to go okay mm -hmm. it's not about that and it's not about me it's, a, it's about Christ in me anything you want to add before I let you go I just want to let people know I mean we're we're pumped about this new website uh, if you haven't checked it out yet it's called biblequestions.com and we've got just to understand what's happening there you can ask anything you want get an answer in 10 seconds or less and in 95 languages. So catch this. I mean, we got people from China getting mm. their answers in Mandarin Chinese. We got people in the Middle East getting their answers in Arabic. It's a huge mission. Uh, you get your answer in 10 seconds or less. Phrase it any way you want. Uh, it's it's amazing technology, and we're pumped about it. So go check it out at, at BibleQuestions.com. Very cool. There's some AI going on there, I think. Yes, it took, <laughs> us, about, took us about a year to put in all of our resources and the scriptures and every tool we could think of and it's given solid biblical answers uh in 10 seconds or less at biblequestions.com man <laughs> that is cool You're, he's excited about it and i'm glad i think that's very cool and dr farley yeah. thank you so much i appreciate your time today thank you appreciate all you guys out there watching hit that share button say to somebody hey you need to hear this this is this was interesting this will make you think. Uh, and if you haven't liked, followed, or subscribed, please do that so you can get notifications about more great interviews just like this one. Appreciate you being here. 101 Bible Questions. Go pick it up now. We'll see you again next time on Life Today Live.